Hey, what is up you guys? It's me, Kayla, and welcome to Cauldron Convos. In this week's episode, I'll be talking about Billy Milligan. Billy Milligan was also known as the campus rapist, and he had a very publicized case back in the 1970s. But what makes this case, I guess, pretty famous is the fact that in preparing his defense, psychologists diagnosed Billy Milligan with dissociative identity disorder, which is formally known as multiple personality disorder. You might have heard the term. If you don't know what it is, dissociative identity disorder is characterized by two or more distinct personalities or personality identities. Each may have a unique name, unique personalities, personal history, and characteristics. And when I first started researching this case, I honestly didn't know much about it, so I just kind of figured that he was painting the picture that he had mental illness on purpose to get out of going to prison. But as I watched the Netflix show and did some research on dissociative identity disorder, I am kind of in the middle on how I feel about Billy Milligan's case specifically. But that's that's besides the point, no one really cares what I think, so let's just get into it. So as a result of Billy's diagnosis, Billy Milligan's lawyers pleaded insanity, claiming that two of his alternate personalities committed the crimes without Billy Milligan being aware of it at all. He was actually the first person ever diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder to raise such a defense, as well as the first acquitted of a major crime for this reason of DID, or dissociative identity disorder. Instead of prison, Billy spent a decade in psychiatric hospitals, but we'll get into all of that in a little bit. So this case might sound familiar to you. If it does, you might have heard it from Daniel Key's book called The Minds of Billy Milligan, or if not, the 2016 movie Split. That movie is obviously very, very exaggerated, but it got inspiration from Billy Milligan himself. There's also a new Apple TV show that was just released called The Crowded Room with Amanda Seyfried, and this show is also inspired by this case, so I thought this might be the perfect time to talk about it in case anyone is intrigued and wants to learn more the hard facts, the research, not just the show. But without further ado, let's go back to the beginning to Billy Milligan's childhood because a lot of doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists in this, you'll see, claim that a lot of the things that he did and a lot of the diagnoses he's had probably are a result of the childhood trauma he's endured. So Billy Milligan was born William Stanley Morrison on February 14th, 1955 in Miami Beach. His mother was Dorothy Pauline Sands and his father was Johnny Morrison. Dorothy grew up in Ohio, but after her and her first husband got divorced, she moved down to Miami to be a singer. She was beautiful. She was actually a pretty well-known singer at the time. It seemed like she was succeeding in Miami thriving, one might say. She started living with Johnny Morrison. That's when she had her first son named Jim, who you actually see in the Netflix documentary. Then they had Billy and then a daughter named Kathy, who is also featured in the Netflix documentary and has spoken a lot about her brother, her opinions, etc. But according to Daniel Keyes, who wrote the book that we just talked about, The Mind of Billy Milligan, in fatherhood, Johnny Morrison, quote, borrowed more, gambled more, drank more. He was hospitalized for acute alcoholism and depression as a result of being a father. Additionally, it also appeared that Billy's father, Johnny, also tried committing suicide. And according to Keyes, quote, Dorothy found him slumped over the table, half a bottle of scotch and an empty bottle of sleeping pills on the floor. So that was the first instance, unfortunately, because a few months after this first attempt in 1959, when Billy Milligan was just four years old, Johnny did die by suicide from carbon monoxide poisoning. Soon after that, Dorothy actually remarried her ex-husband, but the marriage only lasted about a year. You think that maybe she would have learned, but also she was a single mother trying to make ends meet, so... It was comfortable going back to her ex. A few years after that, she remarried again when Billy was now eight years old. Her new husband actually adopted Billy and his siblings, and she actually adopted 
her new husband's daughter. So it was like now a conjoined family. In addition to that, Billy and his two siblings also took the new husband's last name, making it Morrison to Milligan. According to Billy's sister in the Netflix docuseries, Billy was 14 years old when he went to the first psychiatric hospital and the first doctor that she recalled noted Billy had states of, quote, amnesia, which mean he had partial or full loss of memory at certain points at the age of 14. Now, I just want to say this is what she said. I'm not sure, but, you know, do what you want with that information. But additionally, recordings of Billy's mom was also played in the Netflix documentary, and you hear her stating she would pick him up from school, tell him to lay down, and when he woke up, he was, quote, completely bewildered. He didn't know how he got from the school to his bed and what he was doing home. In the Netflix show, his older brother Jim also noted he was having some problems in childhood, which resulted in him going to some doctors to get tests. And at the court trial, this new husband, the new Billy's new dad, actually was blamed for abusing Billy. We will get into the abuse in a little bit because it goes far more into it than this, but um, many psychiatrists, psychologists, and other experts point out that this horrendous abuse by Billy's stepfather was most likely the cause of his DID. But first, let's go into the arrests. Fast forward from 14-year-old Billy, he is now 20 years old. This is when the arrests started happening. In 1975, when Billy was just 20 years old, he was actually imprisoned at the Lebanon Correctional Institution in Ohio for rape and armed robbery. However, he was released on parole in early 1977, so just less than two years later which was kind of typical for the time, for some reason. Oh yeah, sexism. That same year, but in October of 1977, Milligan was arrested again for raping three women this time on the Ohio State University campus. Before they found out it was Billy, the Ohio University students were panicking. The whole school was in a frenzy. They referred to him as the campus rapist. But Billy was arrested as the campus rapist, and he was identified by one of his victims from existing police mugshots of sex offenders. They also caught him because they lifted his fingerprints from another victim's car. And since he used a gun during the crime and guns were also found in his home, he was violating his parole, making it a lot worse. He was indicted on three counts of kidnapping, three counts of armed robbery, and four counts of rape. And he was placed in the Ohio State Penitentiary pending trial. He was assigned two public defenders because he could not pay for a lawyer on his own. And the public defenders for the case were Gary Schweikert and Judy Stevenson. In the course of preparing his defense, he went under psychological examination by a doctor named Dr. Willis C. Driscoll, who diagnosed Milligan with acute schizophrenia, which is actually pretty common um, for doctors to misdiagnose DID and specifically diagnose them with schizophrenia instead. And then Billy gets examined again by psychologist Dorothy Turner of the Southwest Community Mental Health Center in Columbus, Ohio. And during this examination, Turner concluded that Milligan had dissociative identity disorder. So she pinpointed it. But there are multiple psychologists and processes to examine Billy Milligan. So let's get into the diagnosis a little bit deeper than just that surface level. One of the psychologists that were interviewed in the Netflix documentary was named Dr. Sheila Porter. And at the time, she was an employee of the Southwest Community Mental Health Center in the forensic psychology department specifically, and she was part of the group that did competency evaluations and sanity evaluations for the criminal court, as well as helping out with any calls from jail, basically. And according to Dr. Porter, Billy made many drawings during his time in jail. And she pointed out that these drawings varied significantly in the skill level, in just what the topics, the subjects of the drawings were, 
which kind of hinted at the DID even more. So during his stay, they talked the judge into having a psychological evaluation on Billy, and the judge on the case actually agreed to it. So Dorothy Turner, the forensic psychologist, spent some time with Billy evaluating him, and allegedly they ran different tests on Billy, like an EEG machine, and the EEG machine allegedly showed that the person that was tested was much younger than what Billy was and doing different things at different times. So the brainwaves, I guess the EEG, it showed... It would have been a younger patient when it wasn't. Someone in the documentary also pointed out that Billy walked differently depending on which altar he was in. He had different accents for different personalities or alters as one might call them. Someone even pointed out that Billy had different IQ levels depending on which altar he was in that moment. But because this was a very complex case of DID, of determining how do they tell if Billy is fit to stand trial, they brought in a, I guess, bit more of an expert into the evaluation of Billy. Psychiatrist Dr. Harding was asked to help, but even Dr. Harding wanted some more help from a psychotherapist named Dr. Cornelia Wilbur. And Dr. Cornelia Wilbur at the time was very famous for a very famous book called Sybil that follows actually a DID patient. It was written by an author. It was written by the psychotherapist, Dr. Cornelia, with help from the patient. Dr. Harding wasn't able to say whether or not Billy was insane or not. He didn't have, I guess, the responsibility to do that. He wasn't asked to do that. But he was asked to determine if Billy knew right from wrong during the time that he committed the crimes that he did. Then he was asked to portray this to the court, and then the court would then determine whether or not they think that he is fit or not, or legally insane, I guess. And the doctors were able to show that Billy wasn't able to stand trial because they legitimized his condition. There's an interview of Dr. Cornelia Wilbur saying that it only took 20 minutes to know that Billy had DID from, you know, talking with him because by the 20 minute mark, she had already spoken to three different people, personalities, alters within Billy Milligan. The psychologist Dr. Porter did point out that Billy actually did not know, allegedly, that he was a multiple or he had multiple personality disorder, or now called DID. Here are some quotes from Billy during the time, during the interviews that the psychologist, like a psychiatrist, the police had with him. I do things and I don't remember them because I'm asleep. In the state that I was in, I felt everyone in the world was like me in many instances. As Arthur, Billy said, quote, he doesn't remember his mother. He remembers his mother sprawled on the floor bleeding. That's how he remembers his mother. There's also a lot more videos of him online. I'm sure you can find of him in different altars and the different accents that you can watch on your own if interested. I wanted to get into DID a little bit more because I think that's important to explain the symptoms, the diagnoses before we fully get into it. According to the DSM-5, the criteria to diagnose DID are two or more distinct identities or personality states are present, each with its own relatively enduring pattern of perceiving, relating to, and thinking about the environment and self. Amnesia must occur defined as gaps in the recall of everyday events, important personal information, and or traumatic events. The person must be distressed by the disorder or have trouble functioning in one or more major life areas because of the disorder. The disturbance is not part of normal cultural or religious practices. The symptoms cannot be due to the direct physiological effects of the substance, such as blackouts or chaotic behaviors during alcohol intoxication or a general medical condition. Another fact about DID is that it's diagnosed in about 1.5% of the global population, so very rare. Obviously, there's a lot of people with DID that they haven't diagnosed, but it is also misdiagnosed and often requires multiple assessments for an accurate diagnosis. Patients often present with self-injurious behavior as well as suicide attempts. Today, DID remains a controversial diagnosis among psychiatrists. In November of 2020, Esquire spoke to Dr. Dorothy Otno-Lewis, a psychiatrist who specializes in the study of individuals with DID who over the course of her career assessed violent criminals and serial killers, including Ted Bundy. In the Esquire article, it points out 
that Dr. Lewis explained that even in court today, more than 40 years after Milligan's trial, using DID as a defense requires very solid evidence, as there is still no MRI or other technology that can prove its existence. She continues by quoting, Some of the best evidence of its existence would be writings or drawings or artwork done by the person that you're examining long before you ever set eyes on them. And throughout this Netflix documentary, Monsters Inside, Dozens of doctors expressed conflicting opinions on dissociative identity disorder in general, as well as specifically if Billy had it or if he was manipulating everyone and just wanted to get out of jail, an out-of-jail card, literally. So what caused his DID? In Dr. Lewis's opinion, the best way to prevent the kind of violent crime that is seen in Milligan's case is to prevent child abuse. She stated, quote, to produce the repeatedly aggressive individual, usually there's a history of early ongoing intolerable abuse of one sort of another and also some quirkiness about his or her brain. According to his doctors, severe physical and sexual abuse inflicted on Billy in his childhood by his stepfather, Chalmer Milligan, caused his personality to splinter into 10 and then eventually as many as 24 personalities. One of the psychiatrists that worked on Billy Milligan's case stated, we're not just talking about child abuse. I'm talking about child abuse that borders on torture. Another psychiatrist that worked with Billy also pointed out that, quote, people that have multiple personalities have overwhelming trauma as children. According to Billy's siblings, Chalmer Milligan, his stepfather, went from slapping their mother, Dorothy, to punching to eventually dragging her across the floor by her hair. So in the beginning of the relationship, it was mild abuse to the end of the relationship it was very toxic very abusive one of billy's childhood friends stated in the netflix documentary that chalmer was an abusive horrible man but quote billy was his target and at trial milligan's mother sister and brother all attested to the brutal abuse that billy endured by chalmer milligan but chalmer denied all allegations against him so a lot of the psychiatrists are saying that this severe childhood trauma would cause the child to actually splinter personalities into as little as two to as many as i don't know unlimited and and in Billy's childhood, he also talked in funny accents and did some particularly interesting things that his friends and family think are associated with his DID. For example, his older brother said that Billy always had a knack for accents. Billy once referred gas as petrol instead, and uh, one of his childhood friends was kind of struck off guard because she's never heard him say that before. A friend of Billy's stated, we didn't call gas petrol, but laughed it off, noting, I just thought it was Billy trying to be funny. His sister pointed out, I'm not really sure where these accents came from because I don't recall seeing them on television. So now that we talked about that, what was Billy Milligan's charge ultimately? On December 4th of 1978, Billy Milligan was found not guilty by reason of insanity on nine of his charges, making him the first ever defendant found not guilty as a result of DID. Because of this insanity defense, he was committed, quote, until such time as he regains sanity. So after the charge, Milligan was sent to a series of state-run psychiatric hospitals, such as the Athens State Hospital, where by his report, he received very little help. While he was in these hospitals, Milligan reported having 10 different personalities, and these 10 were the only ones known to psychologists. But then at Athens, additional alters came forward. Additional 14 personalities labeled the undesirables were discovered. Among the first were Arthur, who was a prim and proper Englishman and was an expert in science, medicine, and hematology. Alan was a manipulator. Tommy, an escape artist. Reagan, a Yugoslav communist who Milligan claimed had committed the robberies in a kind of Robin Hood spirit. And Adelana, a 19-year-old lesbian who cooked for all the personalities and craved affection and who had allegedly committed the rapes. 
And Milligan received treatment from Dr. David Call, who diagnosed the additional 14 personalities. And many people claim that David Call had ulterior motives here and he was immoral in working with Billy. He was paid $3,000 for his time as a consultant on the book. And he also sought the parole authority to allow Billy to go out of state to appear on TV and maybe even go to Hollywood to shoot a movie. But as you can imagine, people were very upset about this. And they were also upset that Billy Milligan would get any proceeds from the book, from any movies from TV appearances, they felt as if that it should go to the state. Because of a valuation from his doctors noting Milligan's progress, he then was allowed off campus instead of just staying at the hospital. Workers at the hospital claimed that he was providing drugs and alcohol to women at the hospital. He was getting in trouble, so then he got moved to Lima Hospital. But in 1986, Billy Milligan escaped the mental facility where he was committed. During the time that he was wanted, he was going by name Christopher Carr and might have been guilty of abducting his roommate and killing him. No one has ever been convicted in the disappearance of Michael Madden, but many of his possessions were found in Milligan's apartment and Milligan had been cashing Madden's disability checks in a shared bank account. Yet despite all of this, Milligan was eventually released in 1988. An assessment by an independent psychiatrist concluded that Milligan was not a danger to society and he was released. He moved back to Columbus, Ohio. His sister purchased a mobile home for him and he spent the remainder of his life there until 2014 until he died of cancer. I think it's also interesting to point out that Billy Milligan claimed that he could write Arabic and he would write letters to doctors in Arabic. However, one of Billy Milligan's former roommates at the hospital said that he actually taught him Arabic and Billy Milligan was interested in learning about it. So there's a a lot of debate on whether or not Billy Milligan actually had DID or if he just was faking it to manipulate people. Let me know in the comments what you guys think about the case, what you think should have happened to Billy Milligan, and thank you guys so much for watching and I'll see you guys next time here on Cauldron Convos.